In the Bible today, let's open up to Acts chapter 7. How many of you here like history? Just out of curiosity. Some of you do. You know, I actually do now. I wish I would have paid more attention when I was in school. But now as I'm getting older, I'm coming to realize the value of knowing history. And as one philosopher said, those who cannot remember the past are are pretty much condemned to repeat it. You know, we've all made mistakes in the past, and I don't think we should dwell on it, but we should learn from it. And one of the things that we're going to see in our study today is that the Jews had a history of resisting the Holy Spirit. They had a history of rejecting those whom God had placed to rule over them and in one sense to save them. And so, you know, it was a lesson that Stephen now is about to share with them because the bottom line is if you don't identify the patterns in your life that are, are, are negative, that are, that are ruining you, then what's going to happen is you're going to repeat this cycle over and over again for the rest of your life. What are your patterns? Uh, one homework assignment that I might give to you today is that identify something. Identify a pattern in your life that needs to be broken. You know, some people, it's kind of funny, they keep refinancing their house over and over and over again. And, and you wonder why. There's a pattern that needs to be broken. You need to bring your finances under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, some people, they end up with relationships that are bad over and over and over again. And the bottom line is they haven't identified that pattern that needs to be broken. They haven't learned from the history of their life. Some people go from ministry to ministry. I mean, you name it. It can be so many different things. And God is trying to teach them, but they won't learn. And so what we see uh, Stephen does is an interesting thing. They're uh, accusing him of blasphemy against Moses and God and the temple and the law. And it's actually like John Corson said, there are accusations that would bring capital punishment upon his life. But the thing about Stephen is he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't go into this whole court scene you know, trying to save his life, what he really wants to do is save their life. And it's so cool because Stephen is a really uh, beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so notice what you read here in Acts chapter 7. It says in verse 1, Then the high priest said, Are these things so? You know, that the accusations of blasphemy against Moses and God and And the temple and the law, are these things so? And so Stephen said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. Now, there's a lot of different directions you can go in teaching this text. If you wanted to, you can hone in on all the different historical aspects that Stephen uh, brings. And we will touch on them. 
But at the end of the day, Stephen is moving towards a truth and he's going to make a point. And the point is this. Your problem as the Jewish leaders is that you always reject the Holy Spirit. You resist the voice of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, he's going to go, and and it's interesting the way that he does it, is he looks back to Jewish history and he sees how faithful God is. And he looks back at Jewish history and he sees how, for the most part, how they were not faithful, how they had resisted the Holy Spirit, how they had rejected the deliverers that God had given to them. And so here's Stephen, his life is on the line. And we read again in verse 1 what the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen, if he wanted to, he could have just said, no, it's, it's not true. You know, he could have defended himself and explained what he meant when he said what he said. But instead, Stephen goes back to the beginning of the nation of Israel when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans in Genesis chapter 11 and 12. And then he goes on to give them a history lesson. You see, Stephen wants them to see their history in order to help them because they had this awful pattern that needed to be broken. They had a terrible history of rejecting those whom God sent to save them. And and here they are again. They hadn't learned from the past. Here they go again. We're going to see that they had rejected Joseph. They had rejected Moses. We know as we go through all the prophets, they resisted, rejected people like Jeremiah. They killed Jesus. Now they're about to do it again. They're going to reject Stephen. They're going to kill Stephen. And, and it's a lesson for all of us, myself included, man. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. The Holy Spirit is putting his finger on things that need to change. But for whatever reason, and we're going to see later that the real reason is they don't really want anyone to rule over them. And so what ends up happening here is Stephen, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't try to save himself. He tries to save them. And what he does is he gives them a history lesson. Here they are again. They hadn't learned from the past. And Stephen's thinking, well, maybe this time they will. I'm just going to lay it out there, man. And, and so he begins with the lesson of the Jews, how Abraham was called out of Mesopotamia. Now, I don't know if you guys knew this or not. Did you guys know that we're all called out of the same place that Abraham was called out of? Did you guys know that? That we have all been called out of Mesopotamia? We have all messed up. We are, are messed up. Like God, <laughs> Has done with Abraham, like Abraham, God called us out of Mesopotamia. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Hopefully, eventually, we become less of a mess up, right? God is so gracious to us. And, you know, I thank God for his grace. I I was listening to a song by Gia Lucid yesterday, and uh, it's it's a a great word in which she said, you know, when I I fall, you, you pick me up. When I'm, when I'm tired, you carry me. When I'm weak, you give me strength. That's the God that we serve. It's so true about this God who loves us in spite of the fact that we're from Mesopotamia, right? For Abraham, it was a, it was a long journey from Mesopotamia uh, to Canaan. I think we actually have a map right here we can show you. 
You know, Ur of the Chaldeans is uh, modern-day Baghdad or, you know, Iraq. And he'd have to travel up to Haran. This is the route to Canaan, which would eventually become Israel. And when you add it all up, it's uh, it's about a thousand-mile journey. And so Stephen says to the Jews that God moved Abraham to this land in which you now dwell. Something good God had done. Looking back, man, how good God is. You know, and it was all part of the Abrahamic covenant, which involves three things. And number one, the land. God gave, if you read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God gave Abraham and his descendants, Israel, the land. Number two, God gave Abraham lots of loved ones. We'll call them descendants. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant. And then number three, it was through Abraham that we would receive the Lord. And so this is what God has done, the Abrahamic covenant. This is the Messiah, the Savior of the world would come through the Jews. God said in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so, you know, when you read the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 Uh, To chapter 6, you get into the flood. I mean, that happens pretty soon. And then, you know, the flood comes in chapter 11. Right away, it starts honing in on the history of the Jews real early on in the Bible because it's, uh, it's so important for us to know their history because it's through them that we would receive Jesus Christ. Their nation really, in one sense, is the key to salvation, right? But but when Abraham died, the, the only land he really owned was a grave. We read that here in verse 5. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after them. And so God would accomplish his word uh, to the Jews in time However, it wouldn't be easy. It would take tribulations and troubles and trials, which is what we read next in verse 6. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. Now, if you have never read the book of Genesis, I would encourage you read it. I would say read it every year, at least one time, Genesis and Exodus You know, it's really, you know, the beginning of creation, the fall of man, the flood, then the history of the Jews. And it's just so important, so fundamental, so foundational for us as believers. And and so this is what we're doing here. Stephen is giving them that that history, right? And, And it's interesting how God told Abraham what he would do. It was a prophecy that they could see. I want you to know this, that I've got a land for you, but before you get the land you're going to be in bondage to another nation. It would be eventually Egypt for 400 years. And sure enough, that's what happened. You know, there arose a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. It put him in bondage. They were in bondage for 400 years, but it was just so amazing how God delivered them miraculously, defeating the most powerful nation in the world 
through the ten plagues and set them free, 400 years later, just like God had said. It was a prophecy they could see. I mean, you can't doubt that. You can't deny that. I mean, if I told you in three days, you know, you're going to get a Maserati or something, and, you know, you got one in three days, you would say, hey, man, he's a prophet. You know, something kind of like that, right? And that's what God is saying, 400 years. This is how it's all going to happen. This good thing that God has done. It's not easy. Of course, we go through trials, tribulations, and troubles. That's all part of the plan. But we've got to understand that God is working this prophecy that we could see. And so Abraham then entered into the covenant through the sign of circumcision, symbolizing the cutting away of the flesh. And, you know, we read that here in our text in verse 8. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac circumcised him on the eighth day. And then Isaac begot Jacob, and then we've got the whole nation of Israel there. And it's just amazing. When you think about it, the birth of a nation, the birth of Israel, the prophecies of God, he would do his part in the Abrahamic covenant of giving them land, lots of loved ones, and the Lord. And we have our part in one sense. That's what circumcision is. It's the cutting away of the flesh. It's a covenant to be obedient. Now, we enter in by faith, but... Prayerfully, we grow and we become less of a mess up as we have a heart to obey. You know, it's interesting. If you look real quick, I'm going to give you guys, uh, what's it called again? Uh, when you tell them the end of the movie before. Yeah, spoiler alert. Okay, spoiler alert. Look at verse 51 of chapter 7. Stephen says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised. There it is. I mean, you know, circumcision. Let me ask you a question. Is it a ritual in your life or is it a reality in your life? You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You see, when you enter into this covenant of God, we enter in and we're saved by faith, but now... We have to have a heart to be obedient. This cutting away of the flesh means that you're a believer. It means you're different. It means that you're supposed to be obedient. And then we read here in verse 8 in Acts 7 that Abraham circumcised Isaac who gave birth to Jacob, also known as Israel. And Israel had 12 sons whom we call patriarchs. And so, you know, he's just sharing the history of the Jews in in a real quick uh, way. I think maybe even partly because, remember, they had accused him of blasphemy against Moses and, uh, and God and, and the temple and the law. Who knows, maybe he's just partly saying this to let them know, listen, I'm a Jew. I know the Bible. I have nothing against God and Moses and the law and the temple. You know, maybe he's just showing them this because, you know, I, I want you guys to know that I, I do know our history. But, but again, he's moving towards a point We read in verse 9, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, again, I don't think that's really the main point of our teaching right now, but if you wanted to, you could do a whole teaching just on that. 
that wherever you are in life, especially Joseph, he loved the Lord, was chosen by God. God was with him in Egypt. God was with Daniel in Babylon. You know, some people say, well, I want to be in a great atmosphere where, you know, God will be with me and I want to work at a church or whatever the case may be. And, and the Bible says God can be with you anywhere. God was with him. Isn't that beautiful? And delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now, you can read this part of Jewish history over in Genesis 37 through 41, how Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers of all people, but how God was with him every single step of the way as a slave in Potiphar's house, as a prisoner in the Egyptian jail. And then from there, think about that, going from the pit to the palace. I mean, think about that. Raised up to be the right-hand man of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Joseph became the second most powerful man in the world. When we look back, when we look back and we see in church history what God has done, it's amazing. But when we look back at our history, what do we see? Are there patterns that need to be broken? Is there anyone here who has been resisting the voice of the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you something. We're going to see this at the end of our study today. But if you resist the voice of the Holy Spirit, you know, you might end up going through unnecessary heartache and wandering in the wilderness like the Jews did for 40 years. And it ought not to have been that way for your life. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Man, I want to encourage you. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you look at verse 11 here, it says, uh, as Joseph is there, God raises him up. uh, Famine and and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our, our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out, our fathers first, and the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. And then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money. Then the sons of Hamor, the father from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. And you know, I don't know, the Sanhedrin, they're sitting there, 72 Jewish men, the equivalent of the Supreme Court of Israel, and they're listening to Stephen, and I'll bet you almost anything, they're saying, man, this guy knows his stuff. I mean, he's mentioning the names here of where they purchased the, you know, the grave. I mean, this guy kind of knows his stuff, Right. I mean, there was a famine in the land. There was grain in Egypt. And so everyone, including the sons of Israel, went to Egypt. You guys remember the story to get grain. You got to read it, man. And the first time they went, remember, uh, they didn't recognize Joseph. But the second time they they did because Joseph revealed himself to them. And then Joseph called the, the Jews. It was only 75 people in total. 
He said, you guys come to Egypt for there was still five years of famine left. It had been revealed to him in a dream, the Pharaoh that Joseph interpreted. And you read that whole story there in Genesis 42 through 50. And so Stephen says Jacob eventually died and he mentions the fact that they buried him in Israel because this was their land given to them by God and his promises are true. And I want to say this to you, that we all have a land. Some people are not living in the land that the Lord has for them. And so we got to learn from this, right? And so we read in verse 17, but when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. And so now we're getting close to the promise, right? Now, historically, if you were to look in your Bible, you would see now we're in the book of Exodus and uh, do you guys, any of you here remember the Living Bible way long time ago before the New Living Translation? So there are only a few of us here that are old. Anyways, the Living Bible, I never forget this. When I read through Exodus, it says, and there was a population explosion in, uh, among the Jews when they were there in Egypt. They went from 75 people to close to three million people. And the reason we know there are so many Jews is because they numbered the the men in the army. It was uh, over 600,000 men that could fight. And so that doesn't include the women, doesn't include the kids, doesn't include the old people. And so there are close to now 3 million people. We read here in verse 17 that the time of the promise drew near, which God has sworn to Abraham and the people grew and they they multiplied in Egypt. Now, all I can say is this, that God is great that God, when I look back in the past, I think, man, he has done amazing things. But, but and then I, I got to look at my own life. But how about in my own life? Lord, have I, do I have a pattern of maybe resisting the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you a question, and I'll just say this to you. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? I mean, are you really seeking God the way that you should in prayer i mean even that right there is a pattern that needs to be broken sometimes you know people will get all the whole life i I think as christians and they die never having gotten that victory in their prayer life and then they go through their whole life putt-putting without power and they wonder why blaming on everyone else no it's not their fault it's your fault because you need to get on your knees I mean, I, I mean, I was picturing Moses there with his hands lifted up and the people having victory and God really convicted me. And he said, man, the only way the people are going to have victory is if you pray. And I know we all have, you know, free will and everybody's got to make choices and things like that. But, you know, I think there's these patterns that, that need to be broken here. Because when I look back, I see God does great things. And then I look back sometimes, I wonder, well, what about me, Lord? Am I part of that? Am I in the land that I really need to be in, right? And so they, you know, have this population explosion. And uh, you might wonder how they have so many kids. There was no television back then, right? (laughs) And all I know, there's an interesting verse in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the Bible says the more they multiplied and grew. I like that. You know, there's something, you know, about going through trials and being afflicted that just causes growth and depth in our life. And so the people grew 
and they multiplied in Egypt. And we read in verse 18, till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And so the people grow uh, from 75 to, I don't know, two, three million. And so the Pharaoh sees this, and he's afraid of the Jews. They were multiplying exponentially. So he asks the midwives you know, to kill the boys. Thank God they didn't because the Bible says they feared God. And so after that, when that wasn't working, Pharaoh just made a straight out, you know, just command. If there's any boys, you've got to throw them into the river. We've got to get rid of these Jews. We've got to kill them. And here's the thing that's so beautiful, that in the devil's plan, God raised up the deliverer. Huh. I mean, it's amazing the way when you look back at what God has done, and I don't care, you can look at Jewish history, you can look at church history, you see, we see God move. The only question is, am I a part of it? Am I the part of it that God wants me to be? Or are there patterns in my past that I need to learn from that need to be broken because I have not really, truly, honestly, genuinely, and sincerely been listening and obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's so important for us. You know, Pharaoh's afraid. He wants to get rid of the Jews. But when Moses was born, there was something special about him. And it's interesting when you read the Bible... I don't know what it was about Moses, but even as a, as a little baby boy, there was something special about him. They could see it. And I know every parent here thinks, well, that's how my kid is, right? And that's good, you know, but this is more. This is beyond that. No offense, but I was thinking, Lord, maybe he stepped through the night right away. I don't know what it was. <laughs> but there was something special about Moses. It was apparent. It was evident. And uh, we even read in Hebrews eleven twenty three by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. But what happened? At three months, they could no longer hide him and they put him in a little basket. They put him in the river, right? And uh, it's interesting that they put him basically in the hands of God. And he just so happened to drift over to the daughter of Pharaoh And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 6, that she had compassion on him and she brought him up as her own son. She called his name Moses, which means drawn, because he was drawn out of the water. All right. And so we read next in verse 22. And then Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And so he was... uh, you know, not random here. God's got a plan, man, because homeboy's going to write the Bible. I mean, he's going to lead the people. And so God's got a plan here, right? Acts seven twenty two reveals that Moses was trained. He was taught. He was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians. And it even teaches that he turned out to be a powerful speaker and he did great things. You know, when you read the writings of Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, it says that Moses was actually offered the throne twice. 
but he rejected it. That Moses was a great military leader and he led Egypt in mighty victories. That's what we read, what we read here in verse 22. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Okay? But now here is where all this takes an interesting turn. Look at verse 23. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptians. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. This is a really uh, fascinating passage. Verse 25. You can read the whole account in Exodus 2, 11 through 15. But I think Stephen here, in being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he gives us insight into what happened in those days in the heart of Moses, how God was stirring him up to deliver the people of Israel in order to save them. You know, the book of Hebrews even gives us uh, more uh, parts to this and adds a piece to the puzzle. In Hebrews eleven twenty four through 27, it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." You know, and and when you put this along with Acts 7, basically what you find is that God has been calling Moses to deliver the children of Israel to be the one that would lead them out of bondage. And it's something that started happening early on, but eventually at the age of 40, he says, you know what, I'm 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 gonna follow God. I believe God wants to use my life to help these people, but they did not understand. It's a really fascinating passage that teaches us that Moses chose to answer God's call and serve as the deliverer of the Jews rather than the ruler of the world. He was hoping that the Jews would understand, but they didn't. And so we read our final text in verse 26, and the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, for he had two sons. And so, you know, Two Jews were were fighting with each other. Moses tries to reconcile them because they're brethren. And, you know, hey, you know, we're going to need this bond together, guys. We've got uh, work to do right here. We're going to set the people free. God's calling me. God's stirring me up. We need to stay together. We shouldn't be fighting. We need to go forward right here, right? But, but, But the man who was in the wrong... It's kind of symbolic of the entire Jewish people. He said something so critical that in one sense summarized the Jewish heart back then. And and he said this, 
who made you ruler and judge over us? The answer? God. God did. But you don't like it, huh? You don't like it, huh? Just like with Joseph, when Joseph gave the dream, you guys remember the dream? And, you know, the brothers are like, what? What are you talking about, Willis? You remember that? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the brothers are like, we're going to bow down to you. Never. We will never bow down to you. You will not rule over us. That's what they said to Joseph. And that's what they said to Moses. And a lot of times that's what people say to God and God's leaders. And what do they do as a result of that? They suffer for a long time until eventually, prayerfully, God breaks them and brings them to a point where they no longer resist the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I know the common teaching nowadays is that God had to send Moses in the wilderness to humble him, and that's the reason for the 40-year delay. And, you know, I do believe that God did humble Moses, and there's some sovereign aspect of the whole thing. But in all honesty, at the end of the day, there's not as much biblical support for that theory that God had to humble him as there is that they rejected him. Interestingly enough, it's the same thing that happened to Joseph. And it's the same thing that happens to a lot of us here. You know, eventually uh, Stephen is going to go on and he gives them this history lesson. And, you know, um, we know that when they uh, rejected Joseph the first time, the second time it worked out, They rejected Moses the first time, the second time it worked out. And for the Jews, the same thing, right? Rejecting Jesus and the second time, according to Zechariah 12, verse 10, they'll they'll receive him. But in between, how many years of unnecessary heartache will people have to live in until they come to that place in their life where we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? You know, I don't know if I could give you... You guys don't like homework, huh? I've learned that about you guys. <laughs> you know, maybe uh, by, by, by the grace of God, you can just get with the Lord one day or maybe later on today and just ask Him, Lord, are there any patterns in my life, looking back on the history of my life, that I just kind of keep going through over and over and over again, that you want me to see that I need to bring under the banner of your lordship. That, that's for us as Christians. And it could be something, you know, so simple as, you know, you're always late. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you like being late. Um, are anyone here, do you guys like to make, what's it called? Uh, what's that called when you like to? Grand entrance. Grand entrance. Maybe you like that. I'm not sure. You know, but the only reason I say that is because I, by nature, I have that tendency to be late. But I want to be late. You know, I want to get there early and get the class ready for my students, 
or I want to get here early so I can prepare my heart for worship. Sometimes there are things that you cannot control, and the Lord knows that. That's between you and Him, but that's a little thing. That's a little thing compared to some of the big things that God is trying to work in our life. There might even be some here who aren't Christians. You're not walking with the Lord at all. And I think that what we need to see today, like like I said earlier, man, is we have a Lord that is so good. He's so good that he wants to call you out of Mesopotamia today, right? How many of you here are messed up? You're messed up. And you need Jesus in your life. Jesus loves you. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will change you. Jesus will give you power. But I don't want him to rule over me, you know? I mean, Lord of my life. I mean, does that mean he calls the shots? Yeah, but it's a good thing. We don't want to know why. Because he'll lead you and he'll guide you and he'll strengthen you. Without him, the Bible says, you will perish. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so if you're here today, maybe you've never really given your life to Christ. I pray that today you would make that decision because God has such great plans for you to follow him for the first time. And if you're here maybe as a Christian and you've been struggling, I pray that today we would learn from this. Uh, I think I gave the the study a title and I never told you guys. I'll tell you now. Uh, This is the title. It's God. Don't resist it.